Warning, this episode contains MCU spoilers and may contain leaks and rumours for upcoming projects, so please stop listening if you do not want to hear these. Welcome to the Daily Bugle Podcast. Hey guys, it's me, Seth. And me, Ollie. Today's episode, we will we're going to do a long awaited. Well, not a long awaited. A been, long delayed. Yes, we were supposed to do it like ten episodes again. 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 <laughs> a long awaited character review uh, on Shuri slash Shuri Panther. Well, it's just all forms of Shuri. Is yeah. She in what if? Again, excluding what if because that's is a, she in what if? There's like yeah. the whole Killmonger episode, so I'm guessing yeah, but, she does appear. Yeah, in but it. she's probably the same as normal Shuri. Well, yeah. well she appears in be, yeah. Black Panther one, one, Black Panther two, two Infinity War and Endgame. Is that it? I think that's. I it. feel like she appears in one more thing. No, she doesn't. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then towards the end, I'm going to do a review of the finale of Secret Invasion episode. No, I'm going to review. Secret Invasion episode 6, <laughs> the, the finale of... of Secret Invasion. Now for our opinions on Shuri slash Shuri Panther. What is your favourite outfit? Uh, I quite like her Infinity War outfits. The orange dress with yeah, the Yeah, when guns. she's like, in the lab and working. The handguns. Yeah. No, or is that no. in Black Panther? It's in both, is it not? Yeah, it's kind of her lab outfit. That is her lab outfit, yeah. Uh, my favourite outfit is obviously the Black Panther costume, just because, as you guys mm. probably know, I do love Black Panther. By the way, we are currently in progress of making our top 120 heroes rank, like we did for villains. If you haven't seen that yet, it's go check it out. It's 125. It's 128. Oh, yes. Did yeah. I say 120? You said 120. Well, there's 128, okay. so go check our villains one. The heroes one will be coming out sometime in the next two months. Yes. Yeah. So, what's the gadget? Ooh, the Black Panther suit. Just the claws, I, the I jumping. Like the... Does it give you more jumping? No, or just just the general claws, slowness, not slowness, like quietness, like the sneakers. Yeah, uh, I like her Panther gauntlets. I don't really yeah. think the new Black Panther suit is that. Good well, it's exactly the same as the old one. No, it's not. Apart from it's got gold lines instead of purple. No, it does. Does just look good. As in, I think Black Panther works as in T'Challa's the minute was the best Black Panther. Yes, but by I far. I prefer her just like using I like her, but Black stuff. Panther just yeah. Yeah. Uh, what then, is your favourite interaction with another character? Well, this is oh, my favorite, probably my favourite character in the Black Panther movies, yeah. kind of, is Everett Ross. Yeah, I love him and too. And his best interactions are with Akoye, but then he does really have some yeah. fun ones with Shuri, such as the fact he, she always calls him Colonizer. Yeah. yeah. My favourite interaction is probably just her basic, her relationship with T'Challa. Just, yeah. I love it. I just find it so satisfying when she goes, brother. I just like it, I don't know why. And just a bit where she's like, for research purposes, which does come up later this episode. Yes. So, what's your favourite fight scene? Slash, like, yeah. attack scene? Well, well, I do, don't, well, I, well, I don't like her in Black Panther, yeah. in her, like, Black Panther costume that much. I do think the best fight scene, fight scene she has is against Namor on the end on the beach. Desert. Yeah, I agree with that. Other fight scenes, fight scenes she is in, but there's not really any particular. Like, there's a one. Kill a bit. She, she fights Killmonger a bit. She fights T'Challa a bit. Just like small little sections. Not T'Challa. What's Probably that? Wakabi? Wakabi. Does she? Yeah, just a really small amount. She shoots a blast at him. He like okay. knocks her over with his rhino. Something like that. That's in the first. Mm, yeah, Something think, yeah. like that. Uh, but 
one of the reasons I don't like her Black Panther suit that much yeah. is because my favourite thing about her is her intelligence. Yeah. So I really like it like, when she's working yeah. in the lab and how she uses like, heat to beat Namor. Just stuff. a little like addition. I find it funny when it's in Black Panther 1, when Black Panther is there and they're like, would anyone like to challenge him? Um, Zuri says, and then she's like, you can do that? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Now's time for some facts about Letitia Wright. Letitia Wright is 29 years old. She's bilingual, fluent in both English and Portuguese. Her first proper role was in 2011, in the 2011 film Victim. She is quite an avid social media user, posting pictures on multiple platforms with a huge number of followers. She was named one of Times Magazine's top influential top 100 influential people of 2022 and openly talks about her Christian faith. She loves music, playing the guitar and singing especially. She also raps. For the review of episode 6, I've decided to split it into two halves. The first one will be on the main bulk of the episode, including... Every, basically everything which happens with Fury, and then every all of the kind of ending parts, if you get my meaning. And then the second half will be me discussing everything that happens in New Skrullos with Gravik and the other person who's there. Spoilers, obviously. The opening scene I will be discussing in the second half of the, well, of the review. But so the, but the scene which comes after the credits is basically Rhodey trying to persuade the govern, well, the president to bomb New Skrillos. And, well, not just that, but also to declare war on Russia. Whereas a general is like, trying to oppose, oppose his argument. And Rhodey seemingly manages to convince him. Then, though, and next time we see Rhodey, he gets a phone call from the best character of the show, Olivia Coleman, Sonia Falsworth, saying that he has to, Rhodey has to get the president out of there because he is in danger. Specifically, in danger from Fury. Uh, Rhodey ends a call and kind of starts to get moving and we see Olivia Coleman standing at the door, glancing in. Intercut with the other kind of scene, well, other half of, like, sec, oh. Not other half, only I mean. Intercut with what's happening in New Scrollers, we see in the hospital, the agent's getting gunned down just by a silencer. And you're kind of supposed to think that this is Olivia Coleman? And it kind of, oh, I'll get to that later. But you just see the agents being gunned down, or well, not gunned down, that sounds violent. Silenced. We see Verdi basically just like hurrying the present through and then going off to check something wrong. And the person gets a gun from one of his bodyguards. And we get a quick scene that essentially confirms that the president did agree to bomb New Scrollers. Uh, Rudy goes into a room and then is forced back by Sonia pointing a gun at him. Uh, they enter the corridor and then 
bits and the pheasant immediately points against Sonya. The last two remaining unnamed bodyguards are sh- shot down and a f- person enters through the doors of the Andrew Turns out that it's Nick Fury with tranquilizers. So basically, all t- Nick Fury and Olivia Coleman had just been uh, taking out the guards, but not harmfully, in order to make their way to the president, which I had predicted. And I'm happy I got it right, obviously, but yes. In the hallway, they have a standoff where basically uh, Ritz Fury convinces Ritson that there's like squirrels all over the world and stuff. And as we see later on in the episode, Ritson doesn't use this information well. All while the missile or or, or bomb is being prepared to launch onto squirrels, but Rhodey steals and his gun points at Fury and then Fury just shoots him slash her because it's a female skull through the head and she collapses into her true form and then the president calls off a strike. One scene I did forget that is right at the beginning. There's actually a scene which is Vara and Fury talking on the phone and it's kind of Fury apologizing but not really. But basically he says take care of yourself at the end and then you see, and he seems to be in a garage place or something like that, which suggests that he is in the car which we later see drive, or which we then see driving up to New Squellers. Now I'll talk about basically everything that happens after the battle in New Squellers is complete and the standoff in the hospital has been ended. After all of the main conflict is completed, President Ritson does basically what is one of the most stupid things ever. On television, he says that there's scrolls, and then he essentially declares war. And this is also kind of shown later on. He essentially declares war on every alien race on Earth, which I'm pretty sure includes New Asgard. Before we do some of the other, like, finishing up scenes, I will just talk about what this means and what we see because of it. We get, like, yeah, so later on with a voiceover of Nick Fury talking to Ritson, we see loads of people being shot. Like, some of them do turn out to be skulls. But at one point, we see the British Prime Minister, who had been a skull, but had been, now been replaced by, back with the like, proper real one. She is shot in front of what I picture was just number 10 Daniel Street. And it just shows a complete political and social turmoil caused by the President's announcement. And Nick Fury tells Ritson that he, what he's done is a one-term present thing, which connects with basically what's confirmed that in Captain America 4, Harrison Ford, who will be playing Thunderbolt Ross, is going to be the new president of the United States. Gaia and well, Sonya Falsworth meet up in basically a back alley, and they, it, Sonya says we meet at last, which basically... Yeah, in the entire show, they'd never met before. Then Sonia offers Guy of a choice to, if she works for her, then she'll help, basically, they'll help, help each other. Which is very similar to the agreement at, between Talos and Fury, which is noted in the conversation. Except for the fact 
but there's no friendship involved in it. It's an entirely business deal. And right now, Gaia is essentially the most the most powerful, or one of the most powerful people in the MCU, like, up there with Wanda Maximoff. We also see Sonya, well, it more looks like showing Gaia instead of discovering a whole, basically, underground warehouse full of people in the scroll, who, all people who have now been replaced by scrolls. And basically, since Sonya has hired Gaia, some people have hypothesized that she'll be setting up a kind of British super team. If I'm correct, in the comics, there's one called MI13. And there's a few other British super teams and stuff, but MI13 is apparently what... Well, that's what most people think Sonya will be setting up. Finally, to talk about the scenes between Fury and Vava. In the first time we see them in this... Together in this episode, it isn't actually together. It's in their house. Fury apologizes for not being there. Vara says she can take care of herself and that she's essentially used to it. Vara asks if Joey loves her or just the face she put on. And then, still calling her Facilla, which is her human name, he says she loves real her. He says he's leaving tonight and he wants one more chance and she says, I guess this is goodbye. And he leaves, but putting down the ring in its normal place. And it says if he she needs him, she'll know where to find him. Then we have the whole guy meeting Sonia and other kind of the result of Pleasant Ritson's speech parts. And then the episode ends with Fury and Gaia, I mean Fury and Vava, in the woods where Fury first kind of came back to Earth in the first episode. Vava asks Fury to call her Vava, which is because she's, it's, well, it's her birth name and stuff, and we learn that the Kree, who were the Skrulls' mortal enemies, have agreed to start peace talks with the Skrulls, now, or not just now, but they're no longer welcome on Earth, but, basically, because scrolls can no longer live on Earth, they have to find somewhere else to live. Fury asks Vara to come with him to, like, a meeting, to a peace summit, because she's a very good diplomat. But she says no, and she'd like to stay, or at least for now, stay on Earth with her work. Fury says how they are better together, or he's better when he's with her. And she says, basically says that she will help him get started, but then she'll get back. As in, go back home to Earth. She then turns back to her scroll, normal form. And then she says, I just wanted to tell you that I love you as I am. Fury replies, only as you are. And then they kiss. Which shows that humans and scrolls can coexist together no matter how impossible Fury thought it had been and other people think it would be. But just basically kind of presents the message of his always hope kind of. Well, yeah. And then the episode ends with them getting back into the spaceship and disappearing. 
which comes very full circle, which this episode is very good at, with the fact that the first episode kind of started with, or at least for some of Fury, was him coming down on that very same spaceship. And now I'll talk about everything ha- that happens in New Skrullos between Gaia and, well, this guy's a Fury for the first part, and Gravik. So after the first quick scene between Vara and Fury, we see a car driving up to New Skrullos. The car is empty, or guards like walk up to it, Skrull guards walk up to it, and it's actually empty. And Nick Fury, well, Gaia, disguised as Nick Fury, comes up to them and shoots them. The next time we see Gaia is when she's walking through the, uh, well, through New Skrullos, and there's just loads of dead scrolls from last episode on the floor. She's coughing and using a radiation detector to enhance the guise of her being Fury because as I've like, heard people talking about, she would know where all the cameras were. Slowly she makes her way to the Super Scroll chamber where she finds Gravik and but he still thinks she's Nick Fury and he doesn't know that Gaia is alive. And they have the kind of speech which ties up their journey. I just say I did. This may sound a bit vaggy, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a happy I predicted that she was, yeah, and the next year was there just because it turned out to be, a good twist and it made sense. It made sure that both sides of the story could carry on, and resolve themselves. One important thing we learn is that, the kind of face that Gravik uses is the body of the first human he killed on Nick Fury's orders, and how, in a way, he looks up, but then also, kind of, throughout the conversation, we see what has been kind of suggested throughout the show, that he looked up to Fury in, to some extent, and the fact that he broke his promise to find him a new home destroyed Gravik internally, so that he is just so filled with anger and revenge. He basically just gets very angry and shouts in Fury's face, letting out his anger basically about how he's going to wipe out all the humans, cause those natural disasters, and there's going to be loads of bombings and stuff, and that's all all because of Fury. And it just shows you how far his hatred, which probably starts with admiration, goes. Gaia says that it was, it'd be easy, he knew, well, she, well, because she says Fury, she says, he, he knew, well, I knew it would be easier to take the lives of 8 billion people than change their minds and stuff and similar things. And then, as grab on, the kind of whole conversation part comes to an end with Nick Fury or Gaia giving the harvest of all of the DNA to Gravik. And by DNA, if you didn't watch the last episode, the fifth episode, it's basically a vial with loads of DNA collected from the Avengers Endgame battle and various other battles. Gravik puts the harvest into the Super Scroll machine and turns on while Fury is still weak on the floor, activates and basically turns him into a Super Scroll. And what she doesn't know is that it's also turned Gaia into a Super Scroll. Just say, as Gravik puts in the harvest into the machine, we see a long list of names which I will just list. 
Ghost, Captain America, Corvus Glaive, Outriders, Proxima Midnight, Thanos, Captain Marvel, Abomination, Mantis, Curl Obsidian, Drax, Flora Colossus, Korg, Ebony Moor, Frost Beast, Hulk, Chitauri, Valkyrie, Thor, Odin, Sun, Gamora, Winter Soldier, and the others are all the names you see. After the whole Super Scroll turning into M process, Gravit goes to punch Fury, but Fury, but Gaia stops him, and then with a Hulk arm, she like smacks him out of the building, and then the battle ensues. I won't tell you everything that happens, but I will basically say whose powers they each use. So Gaia uses Extremis, Gravit uses Groot and Abomination arms, Gaia gets a Drax arm, which admittedly looks quite odd of her stature. She then uses Ghost's powers to dodge a, to phase through a car which is thrown at her by Gravik, and it's likely that Fury briefed her on some of her powers. Just to say, you'll notice that Gravik typically uses mainly super strength based powers, while Gaia is a bit more versatile. They both use Korg arms, and Gaia uses an ice spike from Frost Beast powers. Gravik uses Extremis, which they both use quite a lot. To heal himself when he's stabbed, as well as an Ebony Moor arm, which strangely has his ring still on, to use telekinesis and hurl Gaia into something, which shows that, which interestingly shows that Ebony Moor's powers were genetic, but then he kicks Gaia with what in future is a Hulk leg. Gaia gains a Call Obsidian arm, and then they both activate Captain Marvel's powers, and Fly into the air whilst they're punching at each other. Gravik uses what appears to be Thanos' arm to punch Gaia, and as he is strangling her while they fall, two antennae grow from Gaia's head and she utters the word sleep, Mantis obviously, which is potentially my favourite part of the battle, either that or when they use Ghost and Ebony War powers. Gaia does the classic Caps Marvel gathering, hovering pose and then follows that up with a classic superhero landing. She uses a few abilities including Colour Scene Arm and goes uh, phasing and then goes up and grabs grabs Gravik by the neck and lifts him off the ground. He says, you're just like your father, just like them. And then the, the battle is ended when she blasts a giant hole through his chest with a Captain Marvel energy blast. After the battle, Gaia goes to the basement of New Skrullers, where all of the people which had been switched out by Skrullers are being held in basically things which take their memories. And we see the members of the Skrull Council, as well as, most importantly, Everett Ross, aka Bobo Baggins, <laughs> and, well, the uh, beer, and Rhodey, we see is there. And he's in exactly the same hospital gown that he wore in Civil War after he was accidentally shot down by Vision. This, and I think it's been confirmed, means that he, well, for Rhodey we see in Infinity War, Endgame, and any times he shows up after that, such as, I think the only one is Falkland Soldier, and of course this, has been a scroll all along, which quite importantly, means he doesn't know that Tony died. 
and then Gaia basically, they all get let out of the New Scholars area. Overall, I think that Secret Invasion is a very good show. Because while it was like a huge event in the comics and stuff, and while there weren't really that many big reveals, except for the fact that like there had been a Skull since Civil War, I do think it works very well as a Fury story, because we've known him since the start of the MCU, and never really... It's the first time we've had something from his point of view. Also, within the story, it had lots of brilliant characters, like Sonia, Vara, and Gaia were all very good. Talos and Gaia had a very good like story within the thing, or within the show. And Gravik was an interesting villain, because it appeared like he was... Similar, well, it appeared that he was really cared about his people and just wanted to find them a home. But when it comes down to it, it revealed that he is just... He's driven solely by revenge and anger. But then, yeah. It, it just is very good to act. The finale was very good at coming full circle with a lot of things. Thank you for listening to the Daily Bugle podcast, and please be sure to hit that subscribe button, ring that bell to receive notifications to our most recent posts. Our next episode is going to be a triple trailer review for Loki Season 2, The Marvels, and I Am Groot Season 2. That's all for today, true believers. You're recording? For research purposes, 